This is In the Studio with Michael Card coming to you from beautiful Franklin, Tennessee. And believe me, it is a beautiful day outside as we record today, Michael. Yeah, we, we've had uh, storms and tornadoes for, for weeks, it seems, and this beautiful weather is, is uh, a real gift. You know, we're going to cover a lot of serious ground on today's program, and I urge our listeners to stay tuned, but I thought we'd open with a little, something a little lighter than that, uh, that if that's that, all right with you. That okay. will be fine. This comes by way of email to us from young Jeanette, who listens to the program with her brother, hmm. and she says, my brother and I really like your music, Michael. I'm 10 years old, and hmm. I would like to learn the banjo. Oh, boy. Uh, we listen to, get this, In the Studio with Michael Card. Got to get the whole title sure. out there. We listen to In the Studio with Michael Card every <laughs> Saturday night. Can you tell me how to get a good, inexpensive banjo to begin on, and yeah. I know how to play the piano pretty well. Mom taught me, but she doesn't know the banjo. Yeah. Well, I'm glad she knows she's studied the piano some, because uh, uh, that's going to help. But good and uh, uh, inexpensive, th- those words really <laughs> don't go together with really any musical instrument. Uh, so I think what I would tell Jeanette is uh, to, to buy the best instrument you can afford, because if if you get a, a, a poor quality instrument, they don't sound even when you're playing it well. It doesn't sound very good. Now she said she was ten years old. You were yeah. about that age when you. Played. Oh, I was younger than that when really? I started playing the banjo. Okay. Yeah, so you'd I, encourage her. Yeah, and I played other people's banjos, which was, <laughs> <laughs> which is how I got started. There's more than hey, one way that, it's going to get. Jeanette, that's what we need to do. Find somebody who's got a really good banjo and uh, see if they'll let you borrow it. I think we have time for just one more email from a listener who says, "Thanks so much for the beautiful Bible I received today." To explain that, when listeners send us Bible questions, we in turn will send them a copy of the NLT scriptures. Yeah, and we have to thank Tyndale for providing these for us. Uh, I'm, I'm holding one in my, hand, in my hand right now, uh, New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible, and it, it really is uh, wonderful gift, I think. Pam says, I mm. attend two Bible studies and I'm leading another one. And this Bible will be very helpful in my walk with God. So yeah. it's nice to be able to be yeah. helpful to Pam and to other listeners. It is. Thank, again, thanks to the people at Tyndale for providing those Bibles for and us. And if you have a Bible question you'd like to email to Michael, in the studio at michaelcard.com. Well, it's just kind of fun to open the program with some of those notes here today, yeah. Michael. Let's, uh, let's move now to what we started last week. And this comes actually in recorded form because you recently were at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School mm-hmm. and gave a very provocative lecture there. Yeah, the, the title of the, the talk was uh, The Failure of Jesus. And what I did was look at uh, the different uh, incidents in the Gospels where people who were close to Jesus, and my point is that everyone who was close to him uh, came to a point where he failed to meet their expectations. And, and we'll start the lecture uh, uh, today uh, with a personal example mm. at a time when Jesus failed to meet my expectations and the expectations of my family. Mm. We're going to run the second part of that lecture here in just a few moments, and I really urge you to listen carefully today. It's very helpful as uh, Michael opens the scriptures with us. And then later, I'm looking forward to talking to your friend, John Eves, whom oh. I've never met before today. I'm so thankful that John has agreed to come and spend some time with us because John is at a, a, a I almost said difficult, but he's at a at a, an amazing point in his life. Uh, this is a wonderful man of God who's going to share with us his testimony. His story is one not to be missed. That's yes. in the second half of today's program. Well, all of this starts, as we do most of the time, with a song from Michael right here in the studio. You've got the guitar in hand. You're going to sing for us now. Yeah, this is a song called Scandalon, and, and it's a, a good song to introduce this idea of the failure of Jesus. And the prophets had foretold it long ago That the long-awaited one would make men stumble But they were looking for a king to conquer and to kill Who'd have ever thought he'd be so meek and humble He will be the truth that will offend them one and all A stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall And many will be broken so that he can make them whole will be crushed and lose their own soul. Along the path of life there lies this stubborn scandal on, and all who come this way must be offended. To some he is a barrier, to others he's the way, for all must know the scandal of believing. He will be the truth that will offend them one and all. A stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. 
will be broken so that he can make them whole. And many will be crushed and lose their own soul. It seems today the scandal on offends no one at all. For the image we present can be stepped over. Could it be that we are like the others long ago? Will we ever learn that all who come must stumble? He will be the truth that will offend them one and all. A stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And many will be broken so that he can make them whole. And many will be crushed and lose their own soul. When I was in college, my sister Carolyn experienced one of the most severe tests of faith I've ever witnessed. She's three years older than me. In a 13-month period, two of her children died. Both were infants who were born uh, full term, lived about two months, and then died. The first was a boy and was born with every birth defect a baby can have, from blindness to spina bifida to cleft palate. I mean, this child, this poor little, little, little guy had everything wrong that you could have wrong with you. And yet he clung to life for two months. And I was, I was your age. I was the Bible school guy. I was the fi- family Bible answer man. Uh, do you do that when you go home? Let's ask. He goes to Trinity. He'll have the answer. See? And, uh, you know, I was just stupid enough to think that being a Christian is all about having the answers. It's not. I thought I was an answer man. I thought Jesus was the answer man. He's not. He didn't come to speak words that were true. He came to speak words that make us true. It's a big difference. But I, you know, I put on my rabbinic robes and, you know, I told my family, well, it's clear. You know, this is difficult, but, you know, it's the blessing of God that he took this child to be home with him. And I quoted all the verses, David, you know, I'll go to him, but he won't go to me. I had all those already. And everyone seemed to be satisfied. I come from a Christian family. So, okay. We weathered that one. The second child came 13 months later. And it was absolutely perfect. Another boy. He was beautiful. Within two months, he died of a ruptured appendix. The doctors had never seen anything like that. None of us saw it coming. Of course, when he was born, you know, the answer man... Well, it's obvious. God has blessed us, see, with this other child. and It all makes perfect sense, right? Thank you for making sense of this disoriented world. As a family, we did our best to hold together through it all. The truth is we didn't do so well. Each of us grieved individually in such a way that we gradually drifted apart. Most of all, my sister and her husband, they divorced. I was about your age when it happened. I remember going to the field behind the place where I was living and literally shaking my fist at God. If this is the sort of thing you do, I don't want anything to have to do with you. I screamed through my tears. Kierkegaard says that despair is the sin that leads to all other sin. I think he's right. In time, we mostly sorted out our individual struggles. In time, my brother... And his wife would lose their 18-year-old son to cancer. And the heart of our family tore a little bit more. I came to realize that Jesus fails to meet my expectations. The passage that we just read from John contains this significant substitution for the confession of Jesus found in the synoptics. John provides the account of Simon's loyal despair in the context of the scandal and rejection by a group of Jesus' own disciples. In the account, John substitutes they're back at the synagogue again, down the street from Simon's house. This passage represents a vital turning point in John's presentation of the ministry of Jesus. Up till now, it's been primarily successful and well-received. The people had only recently tried to make Jesus their bread king. You know about that after he fed them in John 6. They want to make him a king by force. But Jesus understands that misplaced popularity poses a significant threat to his real ministry. And as F.B. Meyer said, 
he had to undeceive them. That's what John 6 is all about. Jesus undeceiving them. In the most offensive terms he can manage, Jesus speaks the truth about what being the Passover Lamb of God means. The focus of Passover was eating the Passover Lamb. Jesus simply and graphically put two and two together for them. This sets the scene for the scandal, failure, and rejection that will follow. This is as bad as it gets in the Gospel of John. In the face of his bloody, sickening, and scandalous words, many of his disciples, John tells us, decide that enough is enough. They could bear the burden no longer, and so many of them begin to leave. As in so many other incidents, the account turns upon a question that Jesus asks the twelve, and to which Peter alone provides the answer. The grammar of Jesus' query indicates the question expects the answer no. It is sometimes translated, you do not want to leave too, do you? This is spoken in light of the fact that John has just informed us that many of Jesus' disciples have just deserted him. Simon's response represents an entirely different tone than the great confession we heard him utter at Caesarea Philippi. In the present context of scandal and rejection by other departing disciples, the tone here is one of loyal despair. The, The dilemma, Jesus is indeed a scandalous Lord who fails to meet their expectations. But there is no place else to go, precisely because He is the Lord. He is the bread of life, the true manna. The words that fall from His lips are alive and life-giving, irregardless of the effect they might have. Peter and the others He speaks for will stay to the end only because there is no place else to go. If there were an option, they might have left like the others. It's only after this defining moment in Peter's life that Peter begins to assert that he's willing to die for Jesus. That's very important, I think. It was only after this event in Capernaum that, Jesus, that Peter begins saying, I'll, I'll die for you. I'll die with you. He'd begun to understand that all this might indeed end in death. Here in the conclusion... Of John's substitution, it is Judas who is called a devil and not Peter. Remember in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus called Peter Satan. But in John's substitution, Judas is the one that gets called a devil. Precisely because Judas will desert, acting on and acting out the evil influence of the evil one. Peter unwittingly spoke earlier on Satan's behalf, but Judas becomes his agent knowingly and willingly. Jesus will fail to meet their expectations again and again in this last year of their ministry together. He will ultimately die on a cross, perhaps his greatest apparent failure in their eyes. You don't understand the cross until you understand what the disciples experienced when they stood and watched Jesus die. And nothing seemed more likely than that it had all been a lie then it was all for nothing. You don't get the cross. You, won't, you don't get Good Friday until you understand that, that it was all over, and that none of, them, none of them expected him to rise from the dead. Nobody had listened to what he said. The women go to the tomb to anoint a dead body. When Peter sees an empty tomb, he walks away wondering to himself what had happened. And when they see him, they don't even recognize him because they don't expect to see him. No one expected it to happen. No one expected it to happen. God will teach them that pain, the failure, the disappointment, and the stumbling are part of the mystery. And that's what I want to try to teach you. The leap of faith begins with a stumble of disappointment. Each one of us, if we follow him closely, that is biblically, will come to the moment Peter came to in John. There will be a time when you will see Jesus in a new, unexpected way, in a light you never dreamed of or wanted to see Him in. And my guess is that most of you haven't gotten to that place yet. Some of you have, but most of you probably haven't. He will fail to meet your expectations. You'll get cancer. You'll lose a child. After a lifetime of ministry, you might feel rejected and overlooked. 
You'll experience him in a way that's caused countless of his other disciples to say, this is hard. Who can accept it? Who can accept that sonship and daughterhood is established in the wilderness? Who can accept that? Why does Jesus not simply wave a magic wand and make the cancer go away? He could. Why must our lives so often be defined by the crushing confusion and aloneness of the world? What I never expected was being found by him in the wilderness. What I never expected was that though he didn't wave the magic wand, he participated in my experience of suffering. He continues to meet me in my confusion and aloneness. It's precisely at this point that real discipleship begins. We have only two choices at this point. We can leave with the others. After all, it really is too much. It really is too much, isn't it? Or we can see what Peter glimpsed in the midst of his own colossal inadequacy as he clung to Jesus with the last shred of faith he could muster and spoke more than he knew. He was right, you know. There's no other place to go. No other way. Are you prepared to make the choice in this context? Not the American Jesus who has all the answers, who never fails, but the true biblical Jesus. Have you come close enough to him to experience what I've been talking about this morning? Like I said, probably most of you haven't, but you will if you keep following him. In what ways does Jesus need to undeceive you? In what ways does he need to undeceive me? My father was a doctor who would come home late at night With a soul so bruised and bleeding from his unending faithful fight To keep a hold of kindness in a world that isn't kind To hold out the hope of healing to his hurting humankind Then he'd flee back to his study, to his bookish quiet place With notes and books and journals to wall in his special space But then he'd lock the door from things that cannot be locked out And his youngest son would starve for what he would always do without But it was meant to make me who I am And for all these many years Still the little boy down on his knees Full of hope and full of fear Calling underneath the door This is me, it's who I am For we love the best by listening When we try to understand Desperate stubby fingers Pushing pictures neath the door And longing to be listened to By the man that I adore Inside someone who needed me Just as much as I did him Still unable to unlock the door That stayed closed inside of him And it strains the way we tend to flee From what we need the most That a father would lock out his son When his heart would hold him close But our wounds are part of who we are And there is nothing left to chance And pain's the pen that writes the songs And they call us forth To dance Michael, thank you. That song always elicits such response from people when they hear that. Mm. Well, I think a lot of us have experienced 
uh, especially Wayne in our generation, um, a distance uh, between mm-hmm. father and son and mother and daughter often as more working moms have sort of been pushed into this uh, pattern of life. And yeah, I think people hear it and go, yeah, that was me. Well, I have some evidence of that right here. As a matter of fact, we've received several emails since that uh, song was used in a previous program. By the way, that email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. But here's a note that says, I heard your radio program for the first time tonight. I really liked it. And I do thank you. I especially liked hearing about your dad. It was helpful to me since I have a difficult time relating to my dad, who now is in heaven. You made me realize that God can use this in my life. It can be a positive thing. I appreciated hearing that mourning things that aren't fixable, as you so aptly put it, is okay. Thank you for sharing this insight into your private life. God has touched my heart through it. My husband needs to hear it as his father really hurt him when he was a boy, and I believe his relationship to God has been affected adversely because mm. of it. How many times has, has that story repeated itself? You know, it's so true. And again, we don't want to over-psychologize uh, what the Bible has to say and, and our walk with the Lord, but there's there's this deep emotional level to it that so often in American Christianity we, we haven't explored. And I think uh, what the, the last email said is is so important. Uh, you know, my husband was hurt by his father, and as a result, it's impacted his relationship with God. I mean, if God is our father, and again, I know the listeners have thought, oh, okay, here we go again. I've heard this a million times, but there's so much truth in it. Uh, if, if we call God father, we're going to re- relate to him in the terms that we uh, related to our own earthly fathers, and that can be a problem. And as you say, without over uh, analyzing yeah. this, um, sometimes when we're unaware that that's the issue, yeah. it can affect us. And it's only when we, you know, confront that. And yeah, absolutely, Wayne. You, you All of a sudden you realize, oh, that's why I feel like God is always mad at me because my father was always mad at me. Mm-hmm. Or that's why I feel like, you know, no matter what I do, it's never enough for God. Well, guess what? That's how my father treated me. And that's when we don't stop and, you know, you know, uh, get get all psychological. That's when we flee to the scriptures and let uh, our image of God be healed by looking at uh, at Jesus and the perfect relationship he had with the Father. Mm-hmm. That's where we need to go with this. Was writing that song that for you? Oh, it definitely was. In fact, the song came from uh, spending time with a wonderful friend who is a counselor named Ken Cope, who we've had on the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, all of a sudden, uh, upon realizing, you know, what I was just talking about, this idea of this connection between our fathers and our, our image of God, I I wept and, and uh, was was healed in, in, a, mm. in a, really in a glorious way. There's another side to this. We are dads ourselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that's it, isn't it, Wayne? I mean, that's the other side. I mean, as we step up to the plate, um, I think for me, two things happen. First of all, I, I try too hard to not be my father, that we end up erring, you know, in terms of being too lenient or mm-hmm. too, you know, uh, too, too much, much the friend, too and, much the buddy. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the kid's looking for some area, uh, you know, I need discipline. I need a, somebody strong. Boundaries. And your, your dad is trying to be, you know, on the same level with me. Yeah. Or, or uh, you know, or we fall right back into the old, old patterns. And I don't know how many times I've heard myself because of my presets, just respond the way my father would have responded. And 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 the other thing I want to make clear is I had a great dad. My dad was a Christian man who, who served the Lord in the field of medicine and washed people's feet and listened to people. And he was a, my dad was a good man, a wonderful guy. William Card was his name. And uh, I thank God for my father. That's another part, I think, of this healing our image. Uh, you know, our dad, even though he, 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 patterns uh the way we relate to god our dad isn't god you know our dad you know our fathers were flawed and just as we're flawed wayne and we have to learn to forgive them yeah my own dad died just a little less than two years ago i remember and um i'm always grateful that in the final year of his life we got to sit down and talk seriously about world war ii you know something that that generation didn't talk about and i needed that and Mm -hmm. i think he needed that as well but never knew how quite knew how to talk about it. Wow. And and also when you know that your time is slipping away, you know, your dad's not Superman. He's not going to live forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, have the courage to go to him and, and like you did, Wayne, and say, mm-hmm. tell me about your life. Yeah. yeah. We have one more note that comes from Don. I know you, uh, this touched you deeply, didn't it? it? It really did. This means a lot to me. And what I'd like to do is read this and then, and then have a, a, a brief season of prayer. But yeah, let me read this. This comes from Don. 
I just wanted to say that the song Michael sang about his father touched me. My dad is very distant and has been so for almost as long as I can remember. He will be 71, and I will be 30 later this year. If you will, I would appreciate prayer that the wall between us can and will be broken down. Uh, that's the prayer uh, that I'd like to focus on. Uh, let's let's just spend a brief period of time here on Father's Day asking that this wall that exists between so many fathers and sons, uh, the Lord Jesus himself uh, would, would miraculously break down. So let's pray. Master, we come before you as your sons. Uh, you've graciously adopted us, and you call us that, and we are so thankful. We don't take it for granted. We're thankful as well that you're the perfect Father, that you give us what we need, and that you are our sufficiency. So we come in that confidence, Lord Jesus, asking you to do a miraculous work, even this day, as uh, fathers uh, try to relate in such a clumsy way so often to sons, and as sons reach out so often with bitterness and hurt and confusion. As, as sons reach out to fathers and try to say something significant and try to connect, we ask, Father, that through your power uh, in many homes across this country and, and across the world where this program is being heard, that you would uh, make these men unusually aware of your presence, uh, that you would help sons to see that their fathers are flawed, sinful men, as all men are flawed and sinful, that you would help fathers to see that their sons are fragile and hurt and so often have been hurt by them, that you would help uh, bridges to be uh, constructed, that you, would, Father, would cross those bridges uh, holding uh, the hands of both sides, that you would let real unity, real reconciliation happen this Father's Day because, Jesus, you're the great reconciler. You died so that we could be reconciled to the Father. That's your heart. So let the burden of your heart be seen, Lord Jesus, as we come together on this day, not an empty day of simply giving cards, but a, a deep uh, reconciling day uh, as fathers and sons come together, all so that you might receive glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Michael. Well, you're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. We hope that you'll take a moment and send us your thoughts about the program, as well as your Bible questions and your prayer requests. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And if you're new to this broadcast, why not stop by our website and learn more about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry? We're easily found at www.michaelcard.com. Now, if you'd like to hear this complete program again, come to the audio archives on our radio page, or you can obtain a CD copy or transcript of today's studio session. All of this is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Coming up, more music and conversation you won't want to miss on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to our program in the studio with Michael Card. Michael, the first half of the program blessed me so much. Thank you for sharing all that you did. And I think it's interesting that the second half of the program today will pick right up really where we left off. Yeah, God is in the details and that he would have brought to the program when he did. Uh, our, our brother John is, mm-hmm. is uh, it's just a God thing. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Listeners, you're about to hear the testimony of a, a godly man, um, a testimony that you and I can't give and mm-hmm. couldn't begin to understand, but God has uh, touched this man's life, and we'll yeah. hear all about it here in just a few moments. But before we uh, introduce our next guest, uh, Michael, you're going to sing a song for us, and John, who's our guest, says this is one of his favorites, and I have oh, to attest good. that it is mine, too. Now, this is an old song, but I think I still think it's, uh, it's an it's an important idea behind the song that we're called to take up the basin and the towel. Well, Michael, instead of asking you to sing the song in the studio here today, we're going to go back to one of our live venues, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where you did this in concert one night. So here's Michael Todd. In an upstairs room A parable is just about to come alive And while they bicker about who's best With a painful glance he'll silently rise Their Savior servant must show them how By the will of the water and the tenderness of the town 
And the call is to community The impoverished power that sets the soul free In humility to take the vow That day after day we must take up the basin and the towel In any ordinary place On any ordinary day The parable can live again When one will kneel And one will yield Our Savior servant Must show us how By the will of the water and the tenderness of the towel and the space between ourselves sometimes is more than the distance between the stars by the fragile bridge of the servant's bow we take up the basin and the towel and the call to community the impoverished power that sets the soul free in humility to take the vow that day after day we must take up the basin and the towel Well, as you can tell, that was recorded live. Uh, you had an audition in the background yeah. there. Someone wanted to be a background a, singer. A guest background vocalist, <laughs> an unnamed guest background vocalist. Uh, thank you for the song, Michael, The Basin and the Towel. And it's amazing how God uses every element, even sometimes planned and sometimes unplanned on this right. podcast. Yeah, and, and what strikes me when I think about that song is that you, you, you don't write songs like that unless you've been exposed to people who have lived out the truth. You don't you don't just learn things at that level from simply reading them in the Bible although I'm you know not not saying it. Sure. Uh, but but when you see something lived out in someone's life that's the that's when you get it. And John Eves is a person who uh since I first knew him in the 80s uh at Western was a person who did that for me. A person who who uh who let go of a lot of things. I mean, the things we leave behind, that's that's John's song. He left behind a... Well, we'll let him tell his story. Yeah, but John, welcome. Oh, well, thank you. Glad to be here. So you have known Michael since the 80s. Actually, the 70s. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> really? Was, wow. We won't go into all those details. Well, John was Dr. Lane's first sort of boy, right? Oh, that's in, right. At Western. He was the first... Uh, uh, first white person to join the congregation uh, at Cecilia, where Bill was preaching. So, John was the forerunner of 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 uh, of, of the, kind of that whole movement. You know, I got acquainted with Dr. Lane late in his life through Michael, and it was just so amazing to see all the lives that he touched. And here's another one sitting right here today. Yeah, yeah he he had a knack for building into men, and yeah. uh, that was his life's desire and goal. Even though he was so well trained as a biblical scholar, mm. I think his greatest joy was. To, to mentor others and to raise them up. Well, John, help us get acquainted. Michael alluded to the fact that uh, there was a point in your life when some people thought you were giving up a pretty promising career to do something different. Yeah. One of the joys I had with Bill Lane was we used to go for for weekly walks, and I would spend an hour and a half with him, and in, in the course of those walks, I could ask him anything. And uh, that kind of opportunity... Uh, led to him one day saying, John, I think the Lord's calling you into the ministry. And my response was, no way. Uh, that's not the path I see at, at all. And uh, I had come from a long line of, of businessmen, and uh, I saw myself sort of moving in that direction. And after I finished graduate school, um, Bill was uh, sufficiently uh, convincing to have us move up to uh to Massachusetts, to Gordon-Conwell Seminary. 
And uh, so we started attending seminary there, both uh, Kay and I. In the course of that, I still found that temptation to sort of go back in the direction of business and actually started interviewing with companies. And uh, one of the major oil companies uh, offered me a position. And uh, at that same time, I felt the Lord really touching me to go in into ministry in a serious way. No, so, it wasn't just the fact they were off in your position. I mean, your father was really pushing you yeah, to take He was that pushing position. me, yeah. He, he was a, an executive, and, and he wanted me to go in that direction. But yet I had this sense of being torn, and it wasn't until I went to Urbana 76 where I really sensed mm. the Lord was calling us into missions. Wow. And so uh, during that time, uh, we actually interviewed with a mission board, and, of course, uh, those of you who have done that before know there are no guarantees. Uh, uh, you have to raise your own support. Mm-hmm. You have to uh, sort of make your own way in that. So at that, at the very time that I was interviewing for that, I was offered this job um, in management training with this oil, oil company. And my father had told me about it, and I said, I'm sorry, but I just can't do that. I think God's called me into the ministry, and I want to go in that direction. And at that time, he was furious with me. He said, you're throwing away your hmm. uh, your future, uh, all the benefits, everything that comes with this uh, package. You know, your whole life here is laid out in front of you, and you're throwing it away. And uh, so I said, I'm sorry, but this is what I know I have to do. Hmm. So six months later, uh, as we started out uh, working with international students uh, in the Boston area at Harvard and at MIT, uh, that oil company had completely uh, decimated that particular department. And you would have been out of work. I would have been out of work. Mm. And so at that point, my dad became a believer. And I said, <laughs> okay, I'm with you, son. <laughs> Go do it. Well, it's uh, kind of the the twist on a Father's Day theme here for us uh, this week in the studio. John, mm. you've uh, lived life faithfully for Christ. You've done a number of things um, in ministry. And now you've reached a point in your life where some news was received just a short time ago. Yeah, it was just actually about three weeks ago when um, I went in for uh, my regular physical and uh, came to find that uh, that uh, I had a polyp in my colon, and they did a colonoscopy, just what they thought, to remove that polyp and discovered that I had a tumor. Mm-hmm. And uh, then a CT scan revealed that the tumor had been there for quite some time and had spread into lymph nodes and liver and a lot of other places in my body. So, yeah, it's uh, sort of a different game plan uh, uh, from from what we thought. Mm-hmm. That was three weeks ago you got that news. Yes, that's and, right. And, Michael, you know John. I mean, here he sits today. He's uh, calm and at peace about well, all that's happened. I, well, I, when I heard, I called, and uh, he answered the phone. He was sort of la- there was sort of this laugh in his voice. When I first heard his voice, I said, well, I, it must have been wrong. I must have heard the wrong thing because this is in the voice of someone who has been given, you know, at, at that point months to live. And he went, to, went on to tell me, I mean, and I want, I want the listeners to hear uh, what it was that you said to me in terms of God receiving glory from this. You said there are three options, right? right? Well, I had an interesting experience because uh, soon after I received this news, uh, my wife and I were praying one night. And in the course of that prayer, um, I found myself saying this, Lord, I know that there's a lot of ways that we can be a witness for you, that we can be a witness in in uh, in miracles and you healing and, and restoring. And we can be a witness in, in suffering. We can even be a witness in the way we die. Mm-hmm. And I was really struck by that prayer because I felt like it didn't come from me, mm-hmm. even though it was from my lips. Mm-hmm. And so the next day, I I went back to a very familiar passage of mine, uh, and that was Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32 uh, to 12.3. And uh, that's the passage which I guess we call the roll call of faith. And one of the things that was striking about that passage was— uh, that it looks at faith in a very different light than what we typically look at it, particularly when we think about God healing or God restoring uh, and how faith works in that context. And I wonder, Mike, do you have that sure. passage? I've Why don't you it. read that? I think that? it would be key to, to our listeners to yeah. hear this. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith... 
These people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones again back from the dead. But others trusted God and were tortured, preferring to die rather than turn from God and be free. They placed their hope in the resurrection to a better life. Some were mocked, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in dungeons. Some died by stoning, and some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about in skins of sheep and goats, hungry and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. They wandered over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these people we have mentioned, received God's approval because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had far better things in mind for us that would also benefit them. For they can't receive the prize at the end of the race until we finish the race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially this sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. Amen. Yeah. Now, the reason why this scripture is so um, significant in my life is that I believe it probably captures the essence of the Christian life better than any passage I can think of. Mm. Because when you come to a context of uh, of sickness, uh, like in my situation, you know, terminal cancer, I think many times we, we find ourselves responding in the arena only of healing. Mm-hmm. And what I see is that God can use us uh, as his witnesses in a lot of different ways. And uh, I think he, and from this passage, we see that he did do miraculous things. I mean, uh, the, the mouths of lions were closed. Yeah. The, the flames uh, uh, were not able to accomplish their task. He's certainly capable, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. and there's no question about it that, that God can do that. But we also know that there have been times where God has led his people into uh, into places of suffering, of trial, mm-hmm. of hardship, and also in places of death. And to me, looking at life from the context of how, Lord, do you want me to be your witness is really the way we walk through it. Mm-hmm. And so in my particular situation, uh, I feel I'm very open-handed uh, in God wanting to heal me. Uh, if he wants to do that. But I'm also prepared to suffer for him, and I'm also prepared to to walk in the way of death. In all three ways. In all three ways. He gets the glory. He gets the glory, and I also believe he gives us the grace to walk through it. Okay, I'm, I'm anticipating, because, I, I mean, I know the way lots of people think. Uh, there's There's someone who's listening who's saying, well, this guy's just given up. If he just had enough faith... You know, God would heal him. I mean, I I know someone out there is thinking that. So, what do you say to them? Well, what I say is that um, when when you've been involved in ministry for almost twenty five years, like me, mm-hmm. is that you recognize the seasons that God gives you to do certain things. For example, um, there have been international students and scholars that I've been working with for a number of years uh, who just haven't had that spiritual curiosity. But when this came upon my life, they were absolutely shocked and stunned mm. because so many people around the world think, well, good things happen to good people, That's bad right. things happen to bad people. What happens if you have a person that we consider good and something bad happens to them? Yeah. It sort of it, it rocks their worldview. Oh, it, it rocked my worldview. I mean, I pulled, when I found out, I pulled the car off the road and had a, 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 a period of really weeping, and I said— Anybody but John. 
you know, anybody but John. And you are, I mean, and again, this isn't to lift you up, but, uh, you know, the listeners need to know John has been involved in student ministry. He was a missionary in the Philippines. I mean, this doesn't add up Well, by the old equation. Right, by that equation. Yeah. But what what I've come to, to recognize in all of this is that uh, when we when we find ourselves in places where we we make ourselves open and available to God, uh, he he will open new opportunities for us. So I've been able to minister to people uh, in this context of of my illness that I never have uh, before. Mm-hmm. Uh, case in point, a uh, very prominent um, uh, medical doctor from Korea uh, really had no interest in in spiritual things at all. She was talking with uh, a woman that we had matched her with as a friendship partner and was very shaken by the news. And she, she said to my friend, I, for the first time in my life, am concerned about eternity mm. because I see what's happening to him and I want to know why he's responding this way yeah. <laughs> because this is not natural. And what would happen to me? And what would happen to me? Right. And so they now, starting this week, have started studying the Bible together huh. to answer that question. Michael, we know from feedback we get from listeners that people are in all different circumstances of life. We've no doubt have some people listening right now who have received this kind of diagnosis, either in their life or in the life of a loved one. And yet other people, this is you know something that they, they fear but hasn't happened. It just strikes me that you're teaching us how to live regardless of what the what the immediate outcome is going to be. Yeah, and I think uh, the listeners are familiar with uh, with Bill Lane. And uh, one of the one of the great blessings I think that Mike and I had was uh, to be with him the last year of his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we were sharing earlier, uh, I believe that Bill if he were to look back on his life would say that the last year even though he, it was in so much pain and uh, difficulty physically, uh, yet his ministry was the most profound. And uh, I remember Bill saying one time, he said, now you guys are going to have an opportunity to see how a man of God dies well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's has been my, that's been my desire for about five years, really. I, I've thought about my life and in the season that I'm in, and I'm I'm just 49, mm-hmm. but but I have had this sense of wanting to finish well. And now that I have this situation, um, the game plan hasn't changed. The context, the circumstances changed, but the direction remains the same. So it's a different congregation I'm working with now. Mm. There are different opportunities that we're going to have. Not one of your own choosing. Not one of my choosing, but yeah. yet I think it's one that 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 God desires, and and I want to walk in it. How about your wife? You said her name is Kay. Yes. How's Kay? And and you have uh, have three sons. Sons. Yeah, I have three sons. Um, Well, I think this kind of news, of course, is 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 hard. One of the great gifts I believe that God does is that about a month ago, the Lord started speaking to both of us uh, and encouraging us, and. At this particular point, this is pre-diagnosis. Uh, this is pre-pre-diagnosis, and I was living in New York City. My wife was living here in Nashville. You're in transition. And we were in transition because we were start starting a new ministry up there. My son was finishing high school here, so we were living in two separate places. And I would come home for four days every two or three weeks. And and I, when I would spend time with John, I would say, "You're crazy to do that. Right? You know, mm-hmm. don't do it that way. Right? That's because, right. That's yeah. So. And a lot of people said, we "Yeah, were I'm crazy. so glad you didn't listen to me." Okay, now right. <laughs> God broke through that, huh? Right. Used and so it. what happened was he used it actually yeah. in two ways. Uh, as he began to speak these words of encouragement to us, it, there was things like, you need to stand firm in me. You need to let me fight the battle. Uh, you need to persevere. All of these words that were coming, and I was writing them down in my prayer journal, and Kay would send me an email, and I said, wait a minute, that sounds so familiar, and something I'd written two weeks before. He was preparing your hearts. He was preparing wow. us. And so we thought it was about me being in New York City and she yeah. being here and yeah. sort of working through that. What a lesson. What, but, what a lesson for all of us, Mike, whatever the circumstances that we're facing. But what else happened with Kay? Well, so during this last year and a half that I've been away, Kay took over the ministry here, uh, and all of it. You know, so we were doing it together. She had taken over everything. She'd taken over the family finances. She, 
she had, uh, in this year and a half, developed confidence in her ability in ministry. And she's a wonderful Bible teacher, and uh, a wonderful woman of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, But she needed that confidence. And so in this year and a half, she got that confidence. She got the confidence in, in how to keep the family situation running. And now you look on this and say, okay, can't you see God's wisdom yeah. in that? Even yeah. in the context of us thinking we were yeah. in a difficult situation, well, he was at work. He was it, using everything to prepare. Right. Everything. Yeah. But we still haven't stopped praying for your healing too, John. No. 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 And that leads me to another point because I had a good, good friend who's a pastor in New York City call me uh, last week. And he, he reminded me of a passage in Mark chapter 2. And that's the passage of the paralytic who was carried by his friends to see Jesus and they couldn't find a way in to see him. So they lowered him down through the sure. roof yeah. and put him in front of Jesus. Great friends. They were. And the interesting thing about that text, if you look at it closely, it says Jesus commended the faith of the friends. Hmm. Not the paralytic's faith, <laughs> but the faith of the friends. And and at that, when I heard that, I said, you know what, God, that's what you're doing for me. You're raising up stretcher bears hmm. for me. Because I, what I'm finding in my own life right now is that I have other things that I'm praying about. I have other concerns and interests that I have. I have, I have uh, different things that are on my mind. And, and certainly... I'm open-handed about God healing me. I'm ready and willing. I believe he can do it, and I'm prepared for it. But I believe what God is doing is he's raising up the body of Christ to do that. Mm -hmm. So he's raising up stretcher bearers for me. So if God does heal me and we do this show again and we can talk about healing, who do I point to? I point to the body of Christ and say, you see, that's how it works. You know, that that God raises up his people to do the things that he wants them to do. Well, thanks, John. We have been and will be praying for you. But we've come to the end of this week's edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. I know I've been challenged by today's broadcast. And if that's true for you, please get in touch with us and let us know. You can send your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. And to stay connected with all that's going on with the broadcast, come to our website, michaelcard.com. When you stop by, you'll be able to find out how you can access the resources which we've designed to help you grow in your walk with Christ. Here are just a few, the Community Magazine, Michael's monthly email called From the Study, and the new CD, A Fragile Stone. You can listen to this complete program again through the audio archive on our radio page or learn how to obtain a CD copy or transcript of today's studio session. All of this is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris, our producer Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.